pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Let me ask you this, Keith. Uh, you were uh, a single like only child in your family. Uh, so would you say that you were more of a wholesome family or more of a dysfunctional family growing up? I feel like, is that I too personal? Like, no, no, I'll be honest. Like, I feel like on the outside, people might think we're wholesome, but we're very dysfunctional. Like, I feel like a lot, of, we can be written by Veep writers sometimes. Oh, really? Okay. That's yeah. funny. Uh, I think like my family was like, you know, a nice mix of like having our great together moments and also our moments where we want to like, you know, go um, to yell at each other or like that moments we drove each other crazy. Uh, but that's, I just bring that up because, you know, so many comedies about families focus on dysfunctional families. You know, the show we're talking about today is Arrested Development. It's Arrested Development. Last week we talked about Malcolm in the Middle. And why do you think that is like that you know, dysfunction for like the last 30 or so years, maybe since the Simpsons or uh, married with children, that's sort of been more of the starting point for a lot of family comedies, not so much the uh, leave it to beaver types of the fifties. There's a lot of gold to mind. Like it's for, for humor. Uh, there's just like, if every character has some neurosis, uh, there's just a lot of, and a different like every character is so different from the other. There's just a lot of dynamics you can. There's a lot of just comedy that you can mine yep. from them. You're right, especially with the Blutes. Uh, absolutely, I I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think there's a there's some quote that something to the effect of all happy families are the same, but every miserable family is miserable in its own way. And so, you know, you could write maybe uh, fifty shows about dysfunctional families and they could all be very different and unique right because last week we talked about with malcolm in the middle a more working class family uh they have their dysfunction with the rest of development and the bluths they're at least they start out <laughs> as an upper class family and at least they still have the um, the heirs of an upper class family regardless of their monetary situation but last uh last week with malcolm's family uh yeah, they fight, they yell, but they do love each other. With the Blutes, it's kind of, yeah, they fight and yell, but they also, like, backstab and yeah. steal and name call and just, like, betray. Right, right. There's a lot more ruthlessness amongst the Blutes than there are among the uh, members of the Malcolm in the Middle family, who, by the way, did we ever get a last name in that family, or is that one of the running jokes? I'm happy we can talk about this. This is another... I forgot to bring this up in the last episode, but it's it's played off as a running gag. But when we meet Francis at uh, at military school, he does have a name tag. I won't ruin it because it's the only time it's ever said, but it's the only time it's ever said because it's always played off as we never get to hear their last name. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I think I read somewhere that was a running joke, so that's why I was referring last week to uh malcolm's house as opposed to you know whatever family name they have 
but okay, so uh, you know, with dysfunctional families, like we're saying, it's there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, but you know, the another big trend of these two thousand comedies that we mentioned last week is that use of narration. And yeah, you know, the way you could do that in that single cam, more cinematic format, uh, not so much again, like I said, in a um, you know a live studio audience type situation. So you know, what what are your thoughts on you know narration in TV programs in general? I mean, do you do you like that as a device, or does it really just depend? You know, does, does it vary per show? It fully depends because there are times in TV or movies, like there are times where narration it just doesn't work or it's just going on way too long. Right, right. I mean, you have different kinds of narration, right? I mean, with Malcolm in the Middle, that's the narration of the main character. Here in Arrested Development, you know, it's not any particular character or anyone who seems to have a connection with the family. It's just more like omnipotent. Yeah, it's a god. (laughs) Right, right. It's just someone who just happens to know the story and is just undercutting the characters. Uh, Can you think of any other shows that had heavy use of narration. I mean, I, there's one that comes to mind for me, but I was just curious if, uh, you know, hate to put you on the spot again. Yeah. Um, it has heavy use of narration. No, I like, no, I bet when you say it, I'll be like, Oh, well, I don't know if you really watched this one. I, I mentioned it to you. I was, I had been watching it, but, um, desperate housewives has a uh, use of narration, but it, uh, it also like more of a, of a twist, but that show the narrator is a deceased character. Um, Interesting. I, right, right. So that's it, it gives it more sort of like a noir twist to it, if you will. Uh, but yeah, I think there's different ways of playing around with, you know, who's narrating and how much they know. Are they, are they a reliable narrator? What's their, yeah, what's their attitude towards the story? Because it seems like Ron Howard as the narrator, it's not like he's rooting for the Bluths. You know, he's not really rooting against them, but he definitely loves to take the opportunity to make fun of them, right? Especially when they're wrong about something. He's very quick to point out when they're talking out of their out of their ass or, you know, like he deflates the, and undercuts them quite a bit throughout the show. It has that royal Tenenbaums, like Alec Baldwin narrating style, like this rich family. But like, yeah, like, yeah, like, oh, Michael said that he would do this, but he lied. Yeah, uh, right. doing this like yeah you know, someone will say like you know this is the way it has to be and, and there he goes well it wasn't yeah. <laughs> you, you hear that a lot throughout the show and like i said the narrator is uh delivers just as many jokes as the characters do uh but you know we love this show so much so keith take us a little bit through the uh pilot history here of arrested development well it all came from the narrator's head ron howard <laughs> Ron Howard had this idea, like you had the rise of reality TV uh, happening in the early 2000s, but you also had uh, big corporate like scandals like Enron. So he started going like, oh, that's where the idea for this family that maybe instead of a rags to riches, which is what we usually see, how about we do a riches to rags? Yeah. And that also fits with the name of like Arrested Development, like the like. Outside of that old hip hop band from the '90s, Arrested Development's kind of this mentality that you're stuck in this adolescence. Yeah, yeah, like, very uh, much how I felt for the last twenty, thirty years. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's something where like the characters are not going to develop, right? They're going to really be stuck in their old ways. Now, 
with all of Ron Howard's strengths as a director, he's not a writer. So he did kind of audition this idea out to different writers. And the one that he connected with the most was Mitchell Hurwitz, who is really like the soul of this show. And yeah. he, Mitchell Hurwitz, co-creator of The Ellen Show, wrote for John Larroquette, Golden Girls. He's been writing for television comedies for at least like 12 years at that point. And he actually did have a failed sitcom uh, called Everything's Relative, which was a single cam format, but only six episodes were made. Two were unaired. Uh, and it had a young Jeffrey Tambor. It was about a young comedy writer. Oh, OK. And so I like that connection there with Jeffrey Tambor. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but I think there's like hints of like what arrest the seeds of arrest development. Um, but yeah, no, uh, they connected. Mitch Hurwitz wrote it. Uh, it was written in uh, January 2003. Oh, it was pitched, pitched and sold in the fall of 2022. And there was a bidding war between Fox and NBC with it. But hmm. Fox ended up winning out. Well, I, I can't really see this being part of NBC's lineup. Again, like we, we mentioned last week, Fox liked to be a little, little bit more of an edgy network with you know more edgy content. And so I think uh, yeah, this definitely is more of their brand than the NBC brand. I wouldn't even – I can – Fox did not know what to do with this show. So, I mean, don't be wrong. I think the network ultimately – uh, screwed up with the show in terms of when they aired it and you know cutting it short, but uh, just in terms of you know like you said the ruthlessness of the characters towards each other. As much as NBC was a home to comedy for many decades, I I I, I see this working better. And it's again it's a shame that Fox um, ultimately flubbed this show in terms of um, you know making it successful. It's interesting because last week we said. Uh, that Malcolm in the Mill was groundbreaking for sitcoms. I would say that Arrested Development was ahead of its time for sitcoms because it laid the way also for that kind of humor in 30 Rock, The Office, yeah. the Parks yeah. and Rec. Oh, uh, uh, Always Sunny. Always Sunny. It and one could argue that it did catch up to its time, probably when it came back. Yeah. And we, we might talk about that i really don't want to but uh, uh, yeah i mean we could like mention it but like we'll focus on the original run original like the i made a i wanted arrested development to come back and i made a wish on a monkey's paw and it yeah. did and i i will say this as uh arrested developments in my top three shows i absolutely love it uh i'm happy it it's a core part of my humor I do only recognize one to three seasons. Same. One to three. I, I, like, I feel the same way. I have no ill. Like, I'm not saying there's not funniness in seasons four and five, but it there are people on YouTube can go into detail on why it wasn't successful. Yeah, I think but, that, that's been covered already. But uh, oh, anyway, uh, Mitch Hurwitz. So Fox got the rights to uh Arrested Development in the fall of 2002, and Mitch Hurwitz wrote it in January 23, and it was shot in March 2003. And so between that, Ali, you had one of the best ensemble casts in sitcoms, uh, but it all started with Aaliyah Shawcat was the first to be cast as maybe. Um, and how do we find our Michael Bluth? Jason Bateman, mm -hmm. who... No one really knew who Jason Bateman was 
because Jason Bateman kind of got his start doing child acting. He was on Little House on the Prairies. He was the best friend in Silver Spoons. He was Teen Wolf 2. But then during the 90s, he had a string of failures. And I think he would even uh, credit Arrested Development to kind of saving his life because J- uh, Jason Bateman's now like oh, at I least mean, a, B, a B-plus list star. Like he, he is someone who I do trust. Yeah. I mean, he's been even in the last like five, ten years, he's been in a lot of comedies, uh, you know, and I think people love him for this show. And he's even had the opportunity to be in like a lot of um, – non-straight man type roles right i think he's as much as much as he can be typecast as the straight man because of who michael bluth is and his role in this show i actually i think the first time i really saw him in anything because i was late to rest of development was in dodgeball as uh the commentator uh pepper I don't know, like just like crazy commentator that uh, is just like all over the place. And he's got like this crazy sports gear on and stuff like that. So he's I, going back and forth with Gary Cole, like, oh, that's going to be let's see if that one's a plays off cotton. Yeah, yeah. Like interesting strategy, cotton. Um, Pepper needs new shorts. Uh, like I remember him being in that sort of role. And so when I put the pieces together, I'm like, wait a minute, that's the same guy that sort of blew my mind a bit. Uh, but he's so good in this. and. I am not surprised he gets uh, maybe typecast as a straight man because he's so good at it. He's so good at being a straight man. Probably one of the best because not only does he let you, the Joker, have like have all the jokes, but he is so straight that he can play like he is funny in his own way, too. Well, I think he's like the funniest straight man. And he goes to show that it's because you have to play that part doesn't mean that you're not going to have your own funny moments because he has he stands as tall as all the other actors and characters do in terms of delivering comedy but then you know you got Portia Jessica Tony Hale and Michael Sarah had troubles with his visa oh he's Canadian I forgot so they had to go down to Tijuana for him to get a new visa because he was this close to losing out on the role of uh, Michael's son, George Michael, and they had another actor on standby. (laughs) But one of the actors, one of the parts that was probably the hardest to cast was George Oscar Bluth, a.k.a. Gob Bluth. No, George Bluth. Uh, Not George. George uh, Oscar Bluth. George Oscar Bluth. uh, Joe Bluth, who I guess, even though they had a pilot written, how do you find the personality with it? And Will Arnett was really an unknown at the time, maybe outside of a few commercials, but he came in with this like macho man attitude, like Michael. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, from what I understand his idea for the character, which is like, this is everything there is to this character is, uh, you know, this, this uh, delusional belief that he's the golden child when it's obvious to everyone else that he's the least favorite. And that that is him. Like, that is Job. And as much as, like, you know, Mitch Hurwitz wrote everything around the character, like being a magician and getting blacklisted from the Magician's Alliance and all that, uh, what he brings, uh, Will Arnett, to this character is just what we know him as. And uh, that I, I just love that. I feel like there's a real uh, fluidity between what the actors are bringing and what the writers, uh, like what directions the writers send them and depending on how the, the actors deliver and commit. It's perfect synergy. I really can't, I like my love for this show is going to come out in this episode, in this uh, podcast episode, 
But uh, the last two parts were Tobias and George Sr., played by veteran comedic actors David Cross and Jeffrey Tambor. And they were only supposed to be minor roles. Like, George Sr. was only supposed to be in the pilot. I can see that because he gets arrested. <laughs> and uh, I can also see that for the Tobias character because, you know, he's not a blood relative Bluth, right? He's married through Lindsay. But when you got gold, like, but like, but when you got like, at least like Tobias out the gate is hilarious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say he's my favorite character because I love all these characters, but um Oh man, I did. I here's some of my favorite moments, uh, some of my favorite running gags, I should say, uh, which we'll get into running gags later. And I know, uh, I just found this uh, a g- nice fun fact. Like, one of their neighbors is Lucille Ostero, aka Lucille Two. Yep. And they were wondering about who they would be able to get. She's not in the pilot, but they were wondering. And Mitch Hurwitz said, like, Liza Minnelli, but we'll never get her. Lo and behold, I had no idea. Ron Howard was baby like Liza Minnelli used to be his babysitter. Well, I mean, he comes from a well-known Hollywood family. Like she was like as if you guys decide to continue with this show, and I hope that you do. Liza Minnelli is amazing in this as well. But oh, I Lucille just found too. That, I just found that like it's like oh she was excited to join, but I just found that like oh Liza Minnelli was my babysitter. <laughs> yeah, and it's not as if Liza is on the show and has no idea what the show's going for. I mean, I feel like she also lives up to what the show's setting out. And yeah, I think yeah, she I mean, Liza is a very unique personality. I think she's kind of bringing a lot of herself to the part, but um she's not you know. stupid. Like she knows what kind of show, especially because yeah. her character has vertigo. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think she you could tell that Liza when she's on the show is having a lot of fun. Yes. And they but give her they live, they give her a lot of good material as well. It's it's definitely one of the most rewarding shows in terms of callbacks, yeah. running gags, character work. Uh, a one line here can mean something so different in another episode. I it it's a show that was so ahead of its time and then just people started just quoting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you can quote the show. You can just recall so many favorite moments and gags. And like you said, it's rewarding because the the humor just builds on itself over and over as it's like it's kind of like a snowball effect. Like the jokes keep coming and coming and adding to each other. But just to end off, we need the last thing we need to put this pilot together is we need a director. So we're not not just going to get one. We're going to get two. The Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, who if you were to tell if you were to tell me that like the directors of some of the biggest mega movies of the past like decade would started off directing small sitcoms. Yeah, I could not believe that when I read that. I was like, the Russo brothers, the Russo brothers. That's wild to me. Could we then maybe say that the Bluth family is part of the MCU? I mean, Easter eggs would tell you uh, the. Bluth... Uh, I mean, actually, let's not. But <laughs> no, no. But the, 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 at least the Bluth, um, the car, the motor car that pops up in the airport in That's Civil right. War, and I think Tobias, a blue man, is in the collectors. Uh, in yeah, uh, Infinity right. War. So I should be. I should have made maybe. that connection. I guess I just assumed they were fans of Arrested Development, but now I'm seeing that they have a much deeper connection to the show, which is pretty cool. That they would then, you know, 
integrate that into this much bigger project later on. But uh, both Mitch Hurwitz and the Russo brothers ended up winning Emmys for this pilot, too. That's another pilot that just was really good. <laughs> well, I, th I think this one also is very surprising because uh, structurally there's a lot of comedic payoff that you don't expect as well. And uh, yeah, it also we'll won for uh, outstanding single camera editing. Oh, okay. There deserved, you go. Yeah. There you <laughs> It deserved that too. I, I love that. And again, this is going back to how you can play around with uh, how you deliver jokes in this, in this format. Cause this show also likes to play with chronology a little bit. Like it's not uncommon for uh, just the show to, you know, go back to a scene multiple times, but through different perspectives. And you see how, like, there's there's different layers there that you discover. And it's uh, it, it, it's such a well-thought-out show, too. It, it never ceases to amaze me how the story and the jokes work so well together. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, man, they must have... Is this just... This is right itself? Or is this a case where they just, like wrote out the entire story from start to finish and they have all these like visual boards to map out how everything works together. It just seems so seamless to me. I'd like to believe it's a little from column A, a little from column B, but I do want to like as much as I would kill to be in the writer's room during all this, I still kind of want it to be a mystery. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I admire it so much, right? It just, I'm just shaking my head sometimes like, man, uh, it's, it's too good. But it did premiere on Sunday, November second, two thousand three, to only eight million viewers. Which yeah, it, it could be better. And once again, Fox had no idea how to market this show. That's a shame because I don't know. It's it's one of those shows where you're just so glad you when you watch it. What's so hard to market about this? Again, I feel like it was on brand, right? Dysfunctional family. It. If they aired it on a Sunday night with, again, like along with The Simpsons or Malcolm in the Middle or something, uh, I, I, I don't see what the problem is. But um, again, it's it's doing a lot of new things and maybe they didn't really know how to convey the, you know, what was new to the table with this show. Well, I, well, I think it ended up getting canceled after the end of season three. But then yeah. when Netflix kind of was rising in popularity, it discovered a whole new audience. And I think that's what led Netflix to say, Hey, can you come back and do it again? So they're like, it was before, like it was a show ahead of its time influenced so many of our other favorite shows. And then around like 2010, 2011, it finally kind of caught up to its time. Is yeah, it did. But then by then, I don't want to say it was too late, but yeah, when you bring the show back, you know, now you have, um, the, the George Michael and maybe characters are, are older and you know, it's not, it's just not the same. It, there was something off. And I like, I love all these guys. Like I'm so happy for their successes, but yeah, I, one to three. That's my arrested development. I agree. I mean, I'm let me just add up real quick here. How many episodes we get of the original run 50. Okay. See, <laughs> you know, better than me, 53, just 53 of that original run. It's, Oh man, it's it's just not enough. But it's like one of those things where it's it's such a treasure show that it makes it even more valuable. That you know, there is not there is so little to it. It makes you treasure it even more. Hey, less is more. But like it's everything. Every episode is just every. There's so yeah. much detail, mm -hmm. and I hope to capture the right amount as we talk about it in this pilot without spoiling, but also just saying, hey, notice. Pay attention to this 
this or I might even just quote. <laughs> I yeah, I I hear you. Yeah, to talk through the the synopsis of this will be a bit interesting because again the the structure is uh, quite different. But yeah, I'm sure we'll 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 get through it and we'll make sense of it. I mean, Keith, you're such a big fan of the show that I'm sure you have already seen this pilot many many times. And uh, I guess if you really want to explore the show, I, granted, I don't, I don't know if DVDs exist anymore, but there is an uncensored extended version on the DVD. But we're oh, not I love talking that. About that, uh, we're talking. I don't even know if DVDs exist anymore. Oh, uh, I, I'm sure that there. I mean, there, there's always going to be a movement for physical media, but that's the thing. I mean, sometimes a joke is a character, a character cursing, um, and so I can only imagine like that. You know, I mean, like there, there, there are certain moments like that. Where like the bleep is the joke. Yes, yes. So uh, I think we're you know the stage is set. You know it's um, November second, two thousand three. Put it on Fox, and uh, I think we're ready. So Keith, without further ado, take us to the pilot. show takes place in orange county california or as the oc as some call it <laughs> welcome and, to the oc bitch and uh we start out on the family yacht and michael is overlooking the sunlight this is michael bluth and he is waiting this is today today's the day that he gets the big promotion he's going to become partner at his family company the bluth company which is handles like real estate and mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. and uh what well, one by one, we're about to – like he's been working for his father for the past 10 years, and uh, we're kind of celebrating his retirement party. Yeah, the retirement of the patriarch, George Bluth. And, uh, you know, one by one, we start to meet the family. We meet Lucille and her for like, look what the gays have done to me, Michael. And, <laughs> you know, he thinks he's talking about her hair, but as it turns out, they're being protested, or they think they're being protested by a group of gay pirates – yeah, what what are the um I mean they're referred to as the gay protesters, but like what are they protesting exactly? Marriage equality or We're here. We're queer. We want to get married on the ocean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like unsure exactly what the cause was, but uh okay. I mean it it doesn't really matter exactly what they're protesting, but you know, we'll we'll it comes back later. This show per per uh perfectly encapsulates the Bush era. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a good point, right? It's another time capsule show. It's the early to mid two thousands. And now we meet Michael's twin sister, Lindsay, mm -hmm. um, played by Portia de Rossi, who comes from Ally McBeal fame. Like she kind of knew her way around comedy, right. and she is the liberal twin sister, kind of like Hillary from Fresh Prince. Yeah, no, that actually is a really good point, right? Like she claims to be in favor of all these uh, causes, but it's uh, <laughs> it's just a facade. Now, as it turns out, she has the exact same blouse as one of those pirates. Now, uh, and uh, Lucille likes it better on them. <laughs> now, Luce, uh, now, Lindsay married Tobias, a uh, psychotherapist, mm -hmm. uh, and he's not on the boat, uh, and they moved to Massachusetts. I like and, the, um, the use of an image from a newspaper, which also will come back. <laughs> the use of like a, a, a picture of Tobias in the newspaper. Um, again, like that... The, the reuse of certain imagery, you know, like that, that pay off again too. No. Yeah. And she holds like fundraisers for like save the homeless and hoop 
as we'll get to know more. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, there was like um a quick cut to like her hosting like a, like was it feed the homeless? Feed but, like, the homeless, but she was full. <laughs> she was full with, with the cheese and the wine. <laughs> um, then we meet uh, Job Michael, and yeah, like you said before, he's a I, a wannabe magician who kind of started the. The Alliance of Magicians. Oh. And uh, you know. do you see what their sign is? Their sign says, um, we demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the big running gag with Job is like, do, do not call it a trick. Call it an illusion. A trick is it's what an a illusion. whore does for money. Or cocaine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the kids uh, who overhear that comment are horrified. And, and then we meet the younger brother, the baby of the family, Byron Buster Bluth. Or as Buster is the mother boy. He's basically he still lives with Lucille and he is basically yeah. uh I think I, I he's the mother boy. Well, <laughs> uh I forgot his actual name is Byron because everyone refers to him as Buster. Uh but um oh my gosh, yeah, Tony Hill is so great in this too. I mean they're all great, but uh yeah, we we get this bit about him studying cartography, and I don't know if this really comes back after the first episode, but uh, yeah, it's suffice to say that he has no useful knowledge of anything. No, he take, he spends like $80,000 on all these like stupid classes, and he gets like crippling panic attacks. He's yeah. very neurotic, but he's a homebody. He has no – like he, the only woman he's seen is his mother. Yeah, yeah, no, as we'll get to, there's a very like unhealthy relationship and dependence that Lucille and uh Buster have on each other. Um so I mean that's <laughs> it's just it's just gold. I mean, um it's I mean Buster is like the nightmare kid that you hope that your child doesn't turn into. Exactly. I think even the rest of the family recognizes that. Uh, yeah. But uh you know, they all gra- gather for a group photo and why is Michael so happy? because he never has to see these people ever again. Yeah, yeah, that's like the twist at the end of that opening sequence, which I like, right? Like you think, um, you know, like it, it seems like a lot of times before an act break, for a commercial break, there's a, a little bit of a twist from the narrator to surprise you and reshift your perspective on what's going on. Yes, this is his family. So why is Michael so happy? Because he's decided to never speak to these people again. Now, we just get a title card of Arrested Development, but Arrested Development in the later episodes, I was first like, I, I forgot that you don't get the classic opening credits because the opening right. credits rely on the rest of the plot happening in the pilot. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's something that happens in a lot of other shows with the first episode. Like, you know, a show might have a well-known title sequence, but sometimes they won't do it just in the first episode because, you know, they're just trying to establish everything. So there'll be time for that later. All right. So we start really the show 10 hours earlier, the yeah. morning of the boat party. And Michael is sleeping in a sleeping bag with next to his son, George Michael. And they're in the attic. Michael is such a good employee that he decided to... S- stay in one of the Bluth's model home for their Sudden Valley expansion. Right, right. But and then he will sleep in the attic, so the house will still function as a selling tool. But, you know, to even make his son, George Michael, sleep in the attic, too. I was curious, like, how long have they been doing this? Do they not have a home? Uh, the model home will become, like, another character. It yeah. has its own like thing and going that, on. That shot of the house by itself in that <laughs> empty desert 
is just like it never gets old. I think they cut they do you see that cut or that establishing shot like I don't know like a handful of times an episode and it's never not funny. Now Michael asks his son like what is the most important thing? Breakfast. No, it's fa- Michael is all about family. Whether he mm. kind of likes them or not, he thinks family is very important. And that kind of latches on to George Michael. George Michael wants a sense of family because You'll find out later in the episode that they just lost uh, – Michael just lost his wife. He's a widower. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if they ever established um, how long ago, but you know, somewhat within recent time, right? Recently, it, yeah. Yeah, like like not – it hasn't just happened. It's not super fresh, but yeah, because they are like – they don't look like they're in the middle of grieving. It looks like they have they have grieved – and as the show goes on, yeah, it's something that comes up once in a while, but um, yeah, they don't really focus on it too much. Yeah, it's it's usually played like when Michael starts dating again. Right, exactly. And uh, so uh, you know, you don't need to establish exactly when. You can kind of tell from you know how the characters are emotionally. But uh, they decide, you know, as people come to inspect the house, they decide it's a great time to leave and go to Balboa Island, which also becomes another set piece in the show. Yep. Uh, because George Michael helps run the banana, the family banana stand. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Like frozen bananas. And just, you know, Michael Sarah is um, so great at looking uncomfortable. And <laughs> yes. him, him standing in that banana stand, you could tell he hates this job, but he, he has no choice but to do it. And just, just him working that banana stand is so funny to me. Like he's just, <laughs> he's, he's just so awkward. Like my heart goes out to this kid. He's so sweet. He hates it, but he's also he has that sense of like if you work hard, yeah. good things will come. Well, he really like, takes everything Michael says to heart, right? Like he really does uh, look up to his dad a lot, and yeah, as, as frustrated as he gets with his dad over the show, for the most part, like they do have a very healthy relationship, and um, yeah, I think Michael has a lot of admir- George Michael has a lot of admiration for. Michael. And that's another thing I'm going to struggle with too, is just, there's a lot of reused names, I guess. Cause you know, it's like a lot of other prestigious families. They like to keep like a handful of names within, you know, the generations. Now who arrives in the distance by the infamous segue, but Job <laughs> segues. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such another great image of him, like rolling up on the segue or sometimes struggling to go up a ramp or something. Now, Michael is there getting ready for the, boat party and you know he asks all his siblings to chip in and of course Job is like I can't pitch in but I want to pitch in via a magic show because yeah. I just bought this amazing illusion called the Aztec tomb and it costs about like it costs all the like $20,000 a lot and but hey he charged it to the company and mm-hmm. it's like whoa whoa you can't that <laughs> you can't do that it's not well, a business you know, expense well Lindsay's been uh, staying at the Four Seasons for a month, and she's probably been charging it for the company. Now, Michael is probably the closest with his sister because they're twins. Right. He's shocked by that. Right. They do say that they haven't, Lindsay and Michael haven't spoken in a year, I guess, since she's been living in Boston. So, um, you know, Michael seems maybe to be the only one who is unaware that 
Lindsay's been in town this whole time. He's kind of always the last to know about the chaos. Like there's so much, yeah. there's so much secrets and lies going on that he has to like navigate it. And then when he finds out about a secret and lie, he usually gets blamed for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I think the rest of the family likes to keep their secrets from Michael because he's always trying to do the right thing. And yeah, as soon as, as soon as he catches on to one of their schemes, he'll try to put a stop to it. So that's why he's usually out of the loop. So he goes to visit his mom, which. Uh, Lucille's house or apartment becomes another famous uh, mm -hmm. setting in the show and he's basically going to say you're going to stop using the company checkbook and there's a famous lie like you know Lucille loves all her children equally and then cut to I don't care for Job <laughs> I, I love that so much and she's just saying that like randomly as she's taking a sip of a martini and you know, I think Buster's the only one there to, to hear that. Now she's uh, kind of, now Lucille's mentality is like it's it's okay to dip into the kitty. We've all dipped into the company kitty a few times. A few? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, not just a few times. Yeah, this is kind of a shock for Michael because you know he's basically set to become the CEO of a company that's already embezzled in fraud. Yeah. Uh, but that's when Tobias and Lindsay arrive, and <laughs> Tobias, <laughs> how? are you uh, tobias just lost his medical license for administering cpr to a guy who just was sleeping <laughs> <laughs> that that is um you know i'd we only get like a quick bit of that but that is where the newspaper picture of him pays off because then you, you go back to that picture but then you zoom out to see it that, expands <laughs> he expands to see the picture is from that article of him giving cpr to a guy who did not need it it's all simple techniques, but like whether you zoom in, zoom out, pan light, pan right, pan left, it's just it's all very simple, but it's used so effectively. Yeah, yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit. We were talking about uh, what we do in the shadows, and it also makes use of some of these like cuts to to imagery that help explain some of the backstory. And it's um, it's interesting with this show, it likes to reuse some of that imagery. But again, like you said, like zoom out or pan left or, you know, again, it's, it surprises you. It gives you like a piece of information only for later to fill in the rest of the gaps, which will change your perspective. <laughs> and uh, it, it works every time. Now, uh, Lindsay kind of talks, you know, we get to know about Lindsay's current charity hoop. AKA hands off our penises. <laughs> yeah. Like anti-circumcision of all the causes in the world. It's a Doberman. Let it keep its ears. Uh, <laughs> a, I don't know if that analogy works, but that's and, very uh, Lindsay. You know, she, she says they did pretty well, but you find out most of the money came from the Bluth family. And that's, that's another a, like, oh, yeah. God. Right. I, I love that. It's like, oh, we raised $40,000. Huh, that's impressive. Well, most of it came from the Bluth company. So, like, um, basically, as I understand this, they have this fundraiser and, like, Lucille probably just signs off on the check. And now this fundraiser has this money that Lindsay can use it for whatever she wants. <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? Like it's um it's like almost like a money laundering scheme. At some point, Michael does say, like, he does make a joke that makes Tobias think that the party is gonna be a costume theme. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Something about like pirates. So yeah. So but uh so uh that's kind of like uh Tobias's story at the moment like he think he does not have a costume for the <laughs> for the retirement party right but, right and like it's okay and if you think about it michael makes this innocent joke about pirates and that really is what's going to set in motion tobias's entire 
arc <laughs> right like it leads to that leads to one thing that leads to another as we'll see but it's it's the setup for what is basically his whole mission on the show but just hearing about all this money being spent and being charged to the company that's all, just about the last straw for michael yeah so you know he basically is about to say like when i am the ceo i'm cutting you all off and you just hear this dun 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 and then buster can you Play that on the balcony, buddy. Buster, it turns out, is playing one of the drums from his classes. Yeah, yeah, the African drums. <laughs> uh, and right before we leave this scene, Lucille is trying out, like, oh, she wants to get ready for the party. And she tries on, like, one of those foxes yeah, uh, like sort the, of thing. Yeah, like the ones you wrap around your neck. One of its feet is missing. And it's like, is it noticeable? Where did the feet, foot go? And then we cut back to the banana stand. And one of the girls is, you know, she maybe who is uh, Lindsay and Tobias's daughter. Yeah. She stole the foot and is using it to try to get a free frozen banana. Right. Yeah. She's, she's pranking George Michael, who uh, said so this is our introduction to maybe. And um, yeah, this <laughs> also sets into motion uh, another long running gag, the relationship between maybe and George Michael. Yeah, because um, George Michael was like, I, I kind of recognize you. You're my cousin. And maybe thinks this is a great way to teach her parents a lesson about keeping family together. So, like, I'm going to bring a guy to – I'm going to tell my mom I'm going to bring a guy to the party. And then I'm going to make out with him and she'll go, that's your cousin. And, and Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah's the hell out of this. He's like, what? I, I, can, can we? Like, is that legal? Uh, yeah, George Michael is like, uh, I think that's against the law. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's interesting strategy for maybe. And I guess we, we're basically learning that uh, she'll do whatever she can to uh, get a rise out of her parents, which, as it turns out, is not easy to do. Now, uh, Tobias, meanwhile, is I don't have a costume. Tobias, so he goes to Lindsay's suitcase and pulls out a blouse that he uses as like a headdress. And as he's... As he's making his way to the party, he sees a group of other pirates. Supposed boarding. pirates. Yeah. Supposed pirates. He's like, oh, they're all going to the party. So he joins them. And so but Tobias may have not have been on that boat, but he was on a boat. He was on. Yeah. He winds up on the protester boat uh, with all the other uh, gay pirates. <laughs> and uh, from there, we get the payoff of uh, Lindsay saying, oh my gosh, that's my blouse. And I guess she recognizes her clothes, but she does not recognize her own husband on on the protest boat. So now we were back at the party and George Sr., who is, <laughs> I always forget, he's wearing like a cowboy hat and Michael's been getting hints. Like, I think he's going to make me partner, but he yeah. also is going through a cowboy phase. He could have just been saying partner. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, uh, I did. I, I did not um, think about that. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's doing this like weird cowboy thing. <laughs> so he's about to name the new CEO and Michael's standing there. He's like, I'm picking the smartest. My favorite Bluth, the sexiest creature to ever walk this earth. And you see Michael go like, ah, huh? it's weird, but OK. And he anoints his wife, Lucille, the CEO. Yeah, and Lucille's reaction is ah! <laughs> one of my one of my favorite bits too from this show. That this reminds me of is the bits with um, the private detective Jean Parmesan. And Jean, <laughs> I love that so much. Every time he reveals himself, and Lucille has the same reaction. Ah, Jean. I don't know why that's so funny to me. 
But this reaction from her, this very over the top, um, you know, celebration to being named CEO, it's it's in the same vein, and uh, oh, I love it. As everyone is celebrating, George Senior goes to hug Michael. As love will keep us together plays on, and it's just not the right time. It's not yeah. the right time for Michael to be CEO. <laughs> I, I mean, Michael is shocked. Right, right. Well, you know, he figures if it's not now, then when? I don't want you charging any more of your personal expenses to the company. Well, I had to pay for the Aztec tomb. Job says it's a career maker. Wait a minute. The company paid for the Aztec tomb. That's great. Well, I was talking about Lindsay, okay? You put her in a five-star hotel, on top of which you didn't even tell me that she was in town. If you're saying I play favorites, you're wrong. I love all my children equally. I don't care for Job. We have an act break, and we come back, and uh, Michael is kind of... He's out on the balcony kind of overlooking his future. He's, he's pondering his future. Yeah. And that's when he comes across the the, uh, the gay pirate boat again. Yeah. And you kind of hear, free, free at last. And that's when he, he makes eye contact with a pirate with a sign that says freedom, who will pop up throughout the show. Just keep yeah. an eye out if you do say. But Michael, I, will, I will now, yeah, for sure. But Michael decides that yeah, he is kind of free. He is going to move on. And he tells George Michael to kind of pack up. We're going to go to Phoenix. And George Michael tells uh, his cousin, maybe like, hey, it's, uh, you know, I'm sorry we get to only know you so long. But as Lindsay is crossing, maybe takes this opportunity to kiss him. Yeah. Which was their both of theirs first on screen kiss. Oh, like in their careers, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a really funny moment, too, because, like, George Michael is absolutely panicked. He doesn't know what to do, and maybe he's really kind of manhandling him. Yeah, basically. And uh, as they go to take another family picture, that's where they hear sirens. And are they police boats? No, no, I think those are real police boats. And, yeah, no, the Coast Guard is coming up. They're ready to take George Sr. to jail, but not before they try to escape first, which just ends in Bluth shenanigans. Oh, I know. Like, all the characters start scrambling uh, to basically save their own hides. Lucille wants to drive away with Buster, who thinks the blue on the map is land, and then he ends <laughs> up having a panic attack. George Sr.'s calling, t telling them to shred this file, keep that file, shred that. Right, empty uh, that account. Job is telling his dad to get in the Aztec tomb. I don't, I, I don't want to get in your dumb trick. No, dad, I don't want to get in. You don't want to get in my dumb illusion. Right, uh, right. He, he's uh, adamant about that. You don't have time for my illusions. But yeah, uh, you know, uh, we then cut to another kind of real life reoccurring character, John Beard, who's always kind of used that as that uh, transitional exposition. It's like he oh the a, the news anchor yeah but he's always used as like you know uh, chaos on the sea today as George Bluth senior was arrested for defrauding invest investors right I th I always felt like this uh this news anchor sort of revels in reporting on the Bluths a little and, bit yeah and, <laughs> and like telling people how terrible they are yeah he's he seems to get a little joy in that like he always has this smirk on his face like oh man you won't believe what the Bluths did this time. Yeah, and he's like a or he was a real life uh uh news anchor in California. He's retired oh, now, but okay. yeah, no, it's um but they're all watching this from prison, uh, from the police station and the news report also reveals the trick to the Aztec tomb. 
Right, right. And, <laughs> and uh, Job is worried that the Alliance won't like this. He demands to be taken seriously. But uh, uh, Tobias comes out. He's like, oh, I'm, I, he finally joins the rest of his family. <laughs> he, he comes out, you say? <laughs> oh, if Not I quite. had a... <laughs> But he's had a revelation. He's gay. No. Lindsay, we, we've talked about this. So many no. times. He wants to be an actor. Right, and uh, everyone just doesn't really know how to comprehend this information. Like, okay, Tobias. Yeah, basically, like Tobias is just like a fly in their way sometimes. I but know, that's... but they they all sort of like tolerate him, uh, least of all Lindsay. But uh, that like I said, like you know, My- Michael made that comment about the pirate, and now it's led Tobias to want to be an actor, which is his whole thing, right? Like this is. This is his whole story is him aspiring to be an actor, which is funny and sad at the same time when you watch it throughout the show. Some uh, of the best comedy. Some yeah. of the best comedy. I, uh, uh, I, I love especially the in season two uh, with um, the whole thing with the Blue Man group. is That's like the peak Tobias arc, I would say. I'm afraid I just blew myself. <laughs> <laughs> so good. But uh, Michael comes out after talking with police and looks like they're going to keep their dad in jail until all this gets settled over. No response, mm. and then he's like, "Okay, they're also freezing the expense account." <gasps> that's how that's how spoiled this family is. They're uh, they're more they're more sad and horrified by losing access to the company money than their own um, you know father or husband going to jail. My name is Dr. Tobias Funke. I was chief resident of psychiatry at Mass General for two years, and I did my fellowship in psycholinguistics at MIT. And this is. I'm a bad, bad man from Annie Get Your Gun. So they don't know what to do. Lucille decides to anoint Buster as the CEO. Of all people, yeah. And he, (laughs) are you all afraid about an uprising? Right, right. He's like, oh, I've only studied agrarian business or (laughs) like, you know, some, some old world business. Now, I know I said that's the last straw for Michael, but throughout the series, Michael will have a ton of last straws. And yeah. Michael basically rage quits and leaves. He's going, he takes his son and they're going to Phoenix. Right, right. Yeah. He's out of there. Uh, at least for now. Right. So in the span of like an hour, it looks like, you know, Lindsay, Tobias, and maybe bail on the hotel. They just take everything they can and just run out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias auditions. <laughs> For community theater, I'm a bad, bad man from Annie Get Your Gun. I <laughs> cut. <laughs> I love the hard cuts. Sometimes they, they really. Um, I don't know the, the the timing of that. Again, it's all in the editing. Like it's funny how a, a a hard cut in itself can be a joke. Lucille talks to the press, really kind of just saying like George Senior is kind of an idiot, which he is. But yeah, you know. Um, Michael applies for a position at the rival company Sitwell, and you'll probably we'll get to know more of them in like later episodes. Yeah, Stan Sitwell, Stan Sitwell, and Sally Sitwell. Uh, and Buster is totally not prepared to be CEO because he, he ends up having another panic attack. He can't sit through one meeting without <laughs> totally losing it and melting <laughs> in his chair. I like how this is just like the origin of Tony Hale, who will go on to thrive and veep. Oh like, yeah. He's so, I, I can't think of like, he's amazing as, as uh buster, but also in veep, he's, he's also just as good. So 
you know, he, he makes the most of these really memorable parts. And I, I also just love to go back to when he thought the blue on the map was land. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I love that so much because it's like the most basic thing. <laughs> he studies cartography, but like, you know, the first thing about a map, he gets totally wrong. I like that. Like even Michael's like, didn't we already kind of discover everything? He's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe there's some stuff that, you know, hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Magellan pretty much uh, covered the rest. Um, but that all that those whole that whole sequence takes place in an hour because they realize we need Michael. The yeah. family needs Michael. Well, you get these sequences sometimes where it's a lot of quick scenes of the characters going about their business and trying to handle a situation in their own ways, right? Because it was that that in the span of maybe like three minutes, you maybe had like five or six scenes that are you know that's that's the other thing with this format. You can you can do that. You can have a lot of really quick moments. Um, so uh, you know, do you get you get a lot of exposition, a lot of quick gags. Yeah. And if you haven't already noticed uh, that this show has an incredible soundtrack, like it just the, yeah. the right music for the right, like, uh, and just the songs that they've even made up is just excellent. Right. But, whether it's like the, whatever that original score is where with the guitar and this sort of like happy go lucky tune that totally contrasts with like the chaos of the show or, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, like a, a, I don't know, a pop song or something of the time that's, again, played in a super ironic way. But even, like, those chaotic moments is, like, mariachi or cha-cha, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's really played in, like... I, I Actually, that and a couple other of um, musical sequences come to mind when, it, when I think of these, like, moments of chaos, like you said. So the family decides to stage an intervention for Michael, even though I don't think they know what an intervention really is. Uh, it's more of an imposition. But they're really asking Michael to run the business. I mean, Joe, everyone's on hard times now. Job's been blackballed by the Alliance. Like, they're <laughs> picking younger magicians. Right, uh, right. They, he can't even do, like, a birthday party. And as this meeting is going on, maybe and George Michael are at the table having their own conversations. And George Michael, as he's a nervous wreck. He is a nervous, horny wreck. And he's just uh -huh. like, you know, you know how we, we should teach him another lesson. Let's kick a kiss again. He's like, how and, would that uh, teach them another lesson? Well, I don't <laughs> he's like, he's he's um really now uh, this, like he he kind of has like some similarities in his neuroses to Buster in the way he like gets very nervous. He can't really even form a sentence, <laughs> and now like this is gonna be a big thing with him is grappling with his um, attraction to to maybe. But uh, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> if Michael. You know what Michael, I mean. sa Michael says no. He's got a job at Sitwell, and he's moving to Phoenix. And the family kind of, yep. I'd rather be poor in Arizona than, uh, like, they make fun of him. It's Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, they're going to definitely, like, try to deflate whatever victory he gets out of this. But, but, you know, you haven't even seen Dad yet. So maybe you should see Dad before you leave. And he kind of wants to throw it in his face. Mm -hmm. And uh, he visits George Sr. at prison. And, uh, you know, he tells him I'm leaving. It's, like, probably a good career move. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, look, I... I'll say I miss Jeffrey Tambor. I know like a lot of shit, like it's just how it all ended pretty ugly, but he is such everyone in the show. I miss Jessica Walter. There's times where yeah. I'm watching this show and I'm like, she is so funny. I'm in tears, not only cause she's funny, but I just, I miss her. Like I'm happy she got to have a great career, but like everyone in the show is so perfect. But Jeffrey Tambor also comes from like the Larry Sanders show and he's yeah. funny in that. 
And George Sr. <laughs> says, like, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't make Michael CEO. He had to make Lucille uh, a CEO because they can't arrest a husband and wife for the same crime. He says that in such a smug way as if it's like a loophole or something. And he like winks at him like as if he's got this whole thing figured out. And then he realizes. Michael tells him. Michael tells him that like he uh, that he can be arrested. He's like, oh, I have the the worst fucking attorneys. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, you know, that's not true. I think what he's thinking of or at least what his lawyers are thinking of is a wife or husband can't testify against each other. <laughs> Double jeopardy or something, something like that. I think, or, I think like, you can't get a spouse. To, you can't get a person to testify against their spouse. I think that's well, that what family lawyer, that family lawyer, <laughs> that, that Henry Winkler, uh, what, uh, what Barry Zuckercorn. Is yeah. The Barry Zuckercorn. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. We haven't met him yet and we won't meet him in this first episode, unfortunately, but another great running character. We cut back to the model home and Lindsay is kind of stealing from the model home right she, i think she's just trying to like uh, get whatever she can and yeah i guess you know pawn it get off of the sinking ship and she runs into george michael mm-hmm. and uh he's lonely the kid like kind of what we mentioned before his mom died and he doesn't really know his family yeah and he was just getting to know his family and he hugs Lindsay, who's kind of like acts as if she's never been hugged before right i think she's actually very touched by this Yes. And it's surprised to be she had, pro- you know, because between her contentious marriage with Tobias and her neglectful motherhood uh, or her neglectful uh, ways with maybe uh, she probably hasn't really felt like a genuine familial affection in quite some time. And Michael sees this and we then co- like because Michael and Lindsay are close, like they're the ones that can do a heart to heart. Like you'll see that throughout the series. Mm hmm. And uh, he's like, they kind of lay it all out on the table. Why didn't you call me? She was embarrassed to call. And because Mm -hmm. Michael can be judgmental. Yeah, yeah. But they just don't know how to really talk to each other. And they kind of resolve in that they are a disappointing family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they embrace it at the end of the day. They embrace it. And Michael does come to the decision that he wants his son to be happy. So maybe it's best that they stay in each other's lives and that Lindsay, Tobias, and maybe – stay with them at the model home for a while (laughs) yeah you know i in this scene i really appreciated how sweet george michael is you know michael sarah brings such like innocence to this character and it's it's fine to see george michael kind of squirm a bit in more uncomfortable situations or get a bit embarrassed at times like with his star wars video but (laughs) at the same time He's usually like the voice of reason more so than Michael is, right? Even I think when Michael is kind of falling off and decides to be more selfish, it's usually George Michael who is the real center of morality in a family that has very little to none. And you know what? You're 100% correct, but there's also like you'll get maybe uh, every once in a while you get a a gem from the other characters. They'll show their humanity as well, but not all the time. Right, That'll right. usually be reversed in the next, like, second. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't last very long. But we basically, this episode basically comes to an end with the family, uh, including Joe playing Monopoly, which is kind of ironic given this family's uh, history. Right, right, like Monopoly, a game where you build homes, right? Uh, that wasn't lost on me. And, uh, you know, Michael tells 
George Michael's like, hey, we're not moving. But, you know, hey, maybe your aunt, uncle and cousin are going to be moving in. But we don't have that extra space. So you and your cousin are going to have to share a room. Hey, what you trying to, to say to me? To me? <laughs> great. What a great way up, to end. Great close up on uh, a horrified George Michael. And you know, Michael Sarah, <laughs> that face he gives, he, he's given that face and like everything he's in, you know, like super bad and stuff. This face of like just pure mortification. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, that that definitely uh works so well in this show he might as well say gulp <laughs> yeah yeah like, uh. but uh yeah we get a little more of that though uh the show is also famous for its epilogues like on mm-hmm. the next arrested development which never really it's just a fitting conclusion to the uh right. episode uh, we got George Michael learns to live with his cousin, maybe. And, you know, he's sitting there anxiously on the bed listening to her singing Britney Spears in the shower. Yeah, I'm not that innocent. Job goes to apply for the same position that Michael did at the Sitwell. But he, the man has no work experience, not even reference. And of right. course, he makes a pigeon appear. How's this for a reference? <laughs> J- just one. Just one reference. Uh, and then. As it turns out, George Sr. loves prison. Yeah, he's really having a good time there. And now he's wearing a do-rag. I'm surprised they didn't say this, but like, I love the no touching. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, one don't... of the best running gags in, like, in any show. No touching. You don't get that until uh, the next episode, I guess. These guys are actually going to be staying with us for a while. Not Joe. It is going to be a little crowded, though, so I think you're going to have to share a room with your cousin. So that's the rest of development. Yeah, that's the end of the pilot episode, man. Um, I think we cut, cornered, touched all the bases. Yeah, yeah, I think so. As we went through, I mean, it's hard not to just um, gush over this show. I mean, between the ensemble having such great chemistry with each other to the narration being such a great element to um, and all these running gags. I mean, this show never runs out of running gags. It just, yeah, there's some that begin right in this first episode and there's um, a lot more that get introduced for like maybe more specific arcs, you know, like Mr. F or um, what's the one I, I also really like when they introduce George senior's twin brother, Oscar. Oh, God. And- oh Oscar. <laughs> I'm Oscar. Oscar. Uh, Oscar Bluth and one of my favorite gags with him are these not so subtle things he says about being the true father to Buster. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, my father's in here, or is he? And then the piano <laughs> that plays is like very like dramatic piano. Um, I, I always laugh really um, hardly at that. I love uh, this show. I'm thankful for this show because yeah. once it's like a core part of my humor. It's a mm-hmm. core part of like just why I love TV, and I even I've I've learned to accept like even though we only got three seasons of the show, we got it we got it though like it it what it it does end the the season three finale feels like a it's a really good series finale it does so I I would think that maybe they knew the show was gonna end when they made that final episode. They tried to save it. They had that episode where they throw a fundraiser and they're like, uh, the home builder's office said no to us. HBO said no, but you know, hey, we, it's showtime. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they were, again, very self-aware show. 
Uh, I think even when they come back on Netflix, they make more um, sort of meta references. But, um, you know, with the next time bit, right, next time on Arrested Development, like, you know, it takes a couple episodes, I think, to realize as a first-time viewer that those are not actual scenes that will be appearing in the next episode, and that is one of the running gags, right? Like, maybe in the second episode, you don't realize those scenes aren't happening until you get to the next next time sequence, right? And then it maybe takes you a little while. But once you realize, it becomes so funny to to see those little extra bits. They're sort of like, it's almost as if they have three ideas for the end tags, but they don't want to really have to choose, so they'll just do all of them. It's a show that, like I said before, it rewards you. Like the more you, like even when you go back and rewatch it, you'll find something different. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you'll find like a hidden detail that, or a hidden joke. Well, you know that's another thing too. I'm realizing with these first two 2000 sitcoms we're talking about is a more use on visual humor. You know, so much with the uh, live action sitcoms, more relies on physical humor, dialogue humor. You can't really do a lot of visual gags because that really relies on how the camera frames it. And so, um, yeah, with with this new format that these shows, Malcolm in the Middle and Rest Development, you you could really have a lot more of those sort of um, those sort of jokes, those sort of like background visual jokes that are worth rewatching to pick up on again. And so, um, you know, again, another opportunity that they're opening up for themselves. That's a good point. Uh, one, it like audiences aren't stupid it treated its audience with with intelligence and respect but also uh i believe it was mike sure who pointed this out with the rise of uh, uh the internet in the 2000s the audiences had the ability to pause and they would talk to each other they would form the these communities of, about arrested development or malcolm in the middle yeah and you kind of couldn't write on a chalkboard you couldn't write nonsense anymore because people would pause it Oh, good but point. If you, right. If you wrote a joke, or if you wrote just like a regular article or, or a joke for like Tobias, you kind of have to make you kind every thing has to every detail has to matter because the audience is holding you to this standard, and you kind of yeah. have to respect them for it. That's a good point because the show I think does use a lot of those newspaper gags about something the you know family members got into, and yeah, you're right. You have to fill in the rest of that paper with something, and that again, that's another opportunity for a joke. For someone who's going to really pay attention to it, you know, like like write in something funnier there. You might as well, um, you know, if someone's going to take the time to look at it. I would say in this case, how many times can you find a blue marking in the model home? I love that <laughs> bit. Oh, man. Like they don't even mention it. I, I just love that like one of the characters could just be opening up a cabinet or walking by a wall and you'll see like or opening, taking something out of the refrigerator and there'll be like a piece of blue paint on it. Right, right. You just see like blue handprints and stuff throughout the house and they're used to it. And that's, um, you know, that's what you're going back to with how it rewards you as a viewer. And so, um, oh yeah, we've gushed over the show. I don't think there's anything else I could think to say except, you know, I've watched it many times. I'll probably watch it again. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I'm just, I'm very thankful for this show. And it's, um, you know, a, like one of those um, Mount Rushmore type shows that we look to. At least for me, like I like, and uh, it's, I'm happy it did find its audience and, and yeah, no, look at all the careers of these people. Like, I know. Like, I mean, I think, I think that's more than anything. Like, well, like Will Arnett too. I mean, 
he's funny i feel like in almost everything he does and his voice too i mean he does oh. the voice for those reese's commercials and i think he makes those really funny and he of has course that voice and of course he's bojack horseman which of, is the show i hope we can favorite shows i hope we can talk about that show one day but uh he's so good in that too and then he also got to show off a bit his um a bit of his dramatic flair and potential as well yeah J- jason bateman is surprising me in ozark Oh yeah, I, I did see the first two seasons of that show, and yeah, he—I mean, he's—I think also ventured into dramas as well. And he's a great director, amazing yeah. director. I'm so happy for like for a guy who I think in like a Howard Stern interview said he was like at like the end of his rope in the '90s because he had once again canceled shows. I yeah. think Teen Wolf Two wasn't successful. Like you know, he was that he would have gone the way of like child stars, and then like Arrested Development did kind of come in and I mean, history speaks for itself. Yeah, no, you're right. Probably the person who benefited the most from the show, but they all did. Yeah. And even like, uh, you know, you look I again, like uh, Michael Sarah, I was probably introduced to first from watching super bad or something because Arrested Development, I was late to. And so I was very pleasantly surprised to see him in that. And, uh, you can do the same story for so many of these actors. So Keith, um, yeah, this was definitely a fun one to, to bond Steve over. Steve Holt! <laughs> Steve Holt! <laughs> you can go all day with these gags and these quotes. But, um, you know, I think looking forward now, it's, it's it's tough to top these, but there's still so many really great uh, sitcoms from this era. And I wrote down a whole list here, and I'm really, like, torn over which one we should do next. Um, but I think... Oh, man, it's so hard. There's so many good ones here. But I... I think we're going to have to talk about next The Office. I think that's the next one. It's perfect. I, I, we're on a roll here. You know, it's just we just got to keep going. And, uh, you know, we're talking about these groundbreaking sitcoms. And I, I just feel like uh, it feels right to go into The Office next, especially with uh, introducing new formats to the you know uh, uh, television landscape. I'm excited. So... We're going to do that. We're going to have our talking heads or look to the cameras uh, next week. And until then, I'll see you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.